Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the TV, the radio, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 319, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We have a lot to discuss. We'll dive into the world of the Dallas Cowboys, of course, really coming off what would be considered a mini-buy as they get set for the upcoming Sunday night football game against the Indianapolis Colts, who are now 4-7-1. and ESPN's Todd Archer is going to jump on with us. We'll take a quick trip around the block. Might even have a little World Cup conversation. But before we get into our Dallas Cowboys chat, it's Greening Law, man. Were you hurt in a car accident? Did you experience malpractice from a physician or a hospital? You got to call Greening Law. That's got to be your first call in the next morning. They've represented clients from car accidents to birth injuries to sexual assault cases involving clergy or hospitals. They cover it all, and the thing that they do is they handle all the stuff behind the scenes, the legalities, the insurance companies. They go to battle for you against that. So truly, you can just focus on healing and renewal. No, and, you know, Matt's been going through this for quite a while, and that's why we always say don't suffer alone. If you've been in an accident or you've had some kind of situation like this, give Greenlaw a call. Let them walk you through the process. Let them hold your hand. Let them take you down the path and show you turn left right here. Hey, here's some place you need to make a hurdle jump right here. I mean, it's just like finding a guidebook in a video game because they can tell you how to deal with the insurance company so that you get what you deserve. It's very easy to do, and that consultation's free. So if you think you've got a case, find out. 972-934-8900. It's 972-934-8900. Robert Greening. Call them now, offices, Dallas, Texas. Oh, the Dallas Cowboys, it's, well, it's the Dallas Cowboys. The, the attentions of the world focused on the Dallas Cowboys as they always are. And earlier, I guess, was it over the weekend or it was this week? I was trying to figure out exactly when this was a thing that came out. But the Washington Post had a story on Jerry Jones. And this was a story in the Washington Post that revealed a picture of him from 1957, from September 9th, 1957, where Jerry Jones was a member of a horde of people that were standing on the steps outside Little Rock Central High 
when all this stuff was going on, I'm trying to remember exactly where he was. It, 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 yeah, North Little Rock High, sorry, North Little Rock High. Students were blocking the doors as they were attempting to integrate the school back in the late 1950s. And there in the crowd that morning is Jerry Jones. And this apparently this is a picture. Somebody had this picture and it just now has been discovered or something. Well, it was part of uh, some archives at the University of Arkansas when they did an oral history of that particular moment, that incident. And the picture was uh, there as part of uh, the story that they did. Um, but, you know, man, I, it, I find it a very, all the whole thing is interesting to me. The story is interesting. Uh, the picture is interesting only because Jerry, and Jerry said, hey, I was just out there being curious. Right. And I was, I was a little, like, apprehensive because uh, my coach had told me not to go over there. And I was like, wow, if he finds me, I'm going to get in trouble. And I got to tell you, man, the picture kind of says that he's a cat who's three or four rows deep, it looks like. Right checking out the scene he's certainly not i mean he's there so i guess you could call him a participant because he's there but there's a cat in front with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth he was what i would call an active participant well you, you uh, can see hate in that guy's eyes right jerry really looks to me like he's being curious and he, and he really looks to me like he's checking the scene out um but uh you know to me it's interesting i mean dude it was 60 years ago um, and I don't know I guess here's my thing if that's supposed to be a gotcha moment it doesn't do enough for me because he's really just kind of checking something out uh, so I don't really see it as a gotcha moment I see it as more of a just a further uh, revelation confirmation whatever you will of this is the age that he grew up in this is what his peers were like when he was growing up because that's what he knew. And what would you expect somebody growing up in Arkansas in the 50s to be all about? Yeah, it was kind of my thought process on this as well. And, and I don't know, I saw this, like, man, that's kind of wild, but I, I didn't see, I don't know. I mean, obviously that was way before I was ever alive in a, in a world in which all I know is movies and history books, of course. And you know, stories that have been passed down in some instances from people that like my grandparents were alive during that time and have passed away years ago. But, you know, for I kind of wondered it, too, like it kind of struck me as is this supposed to be a gotcha moment? Like, look at this owner who, you know, because the story goes on in The Washington Post, as we all know, the Dallas Cowboys have never had a black head coach. And it, it I kind of wonder, is like, OK, well, what's this supposed to be from a guy who was 14 years old at the time that this happened? from way back in the deep south essentially and i i don't know I, I didn't know what to make of this story it was just the whole thing was kind of odd i did think that like as they went through the story you know they, they kind of said how they mentioned that they reached out to all 32 owners and jerry was the only one that agreed to sit down with them on the topic of diversity and hiring of black coaches and whatnot in the sport and man he gives some quotes in here that I, that are i mean fairly just straightforwardly honest uh, yeah, I mean, Jerry's always kind of been like that. Now, he, he can ramble a bit, but the beauty of Jerry is you usually get honesty from him, usually, because he doesn't have to lie because he's so powerful. What are you going to yeah. do about it? I mean, that's the beauty of being as powerful as he is. You can tell the truth because there's no there's typically no ramifications for your truth telling. Uh, that's why other people also feel comfortable telling the truth because he doesn't, 
you know, he doesn't take you out behind the woodshed if you tell the truth about him if he doesn't agree with it. Um, because if you think about it, I don't think there was any sourced information in that. Everybody quoted was quoted. There's no sources in Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all pretty direct and all that. And, and you know, the story of his youth and, and the way that he grew up and, and that whole type of thing and his experience of that. And, you know, he had some interesting quotes on this because it, it, and, and this is not a new thing to the NFL. This is something that has always been. It's a league that is a bunch of old white dudes that own all the teams. And, you know, Jerry basically goes out there and, and even kind of mentions that about the idea that. You know, you kind of hire who you know and, and, and that that's something that the league and I forget exactly what the initiative is that they had earlier this year where they tried to get some of the black assistant offensive coordinators and whatnot in a room with some of these owners so that there might be an opportunity for them to know some other people to try and help in the hiring process, because obviously a sport that's so predominantly black only has what is it now? Three head coaches, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you know, the bottom line is. Yeah, people do hire who they know and who they hire. Um, let's go. Let, let's just use a, a current example that's been in the news a little bit lately. Um, so there's a new sports station in uh, in Dallas, or it's a guy talk station. It's it's used to be 97 Eagle. Now they call it the Freak. Okay, uh, Ben and Skin kind of started over there. Reiner showed up from from the ticket. Who who are the only people they've hired, Matt? It's literally people that they know, and in and, and most of the cases, actually, I'm pretty sure that everybody at that station, in some form or fashion, other than Christina Ray, every single other person at some point was connected to the ticket. Right, and and the only thing Christina Ray did, who's a wonderful person, is be Mike Soroy's girlfriend. So they're basically all connected, which is also why you see what Matt zero diversity over there. Yeah, that's like very zero. True. Yeah, no. Like how you could how you could create a new radio station. And not hire any people of color is beyond me. But it's easy to understand how they did that and how they don't they haven't even thought about it. Why? Because they're hiring everybody that they know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the basic example there. And that's not a shot. at them. That's just a fact. Um, you know, that's how they're rolling. And that is good for them. They created something. They can hire who they want to. And that's the whole thing, man. Um, I had a good friend of mine tell me the other day, well, you know, after these quotes in the story, Jerry's got to hire a black coach or there's going to be a lot. Of, I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? Well, if he doesn't hire a black coach, there's going to be a lot of backlash. I said, why? There's not going to be any black backlash. Or if it is, it's going to last for a day. Um, and, you know, Dion says this all the time. You can't tell people who to hire. Yeah. I mean, as a football coach, as a as a team owner. There's really, literally, nobody's going to tell you who to hire. Because why? Whoever you hire, you think is the best person to help you win and get to the Super Bowl or win a championship, no matter what the sport is. So you are trying to hire the best person, even though you typically fail to do that. Yeah, and the reality of it is, like, because they asked him the Rooney rule and all that that has existed. And, and, I mean, Jerry is quoted in this article. In a sense, the paraphrase would have been, you know, the Rooney rule is not how owners make hires like that. Like you have to you can make a phone call or whatnot because you have to. But as he says, and this is his direct quote, I didn't hire Jimmy through an interview, did I? I didn't hire Barry Switzer through an interview. okay? and I didn't want Denny's talking about Denny Green through an interview at the time, but I knew him. 
because apparently he wanted Bill Parcells, but they didn't know if he was going to come. And he said the closest that they've gotten to having a black head coach was Dennis Green because he knew Dennis Green. And when Parcells agreed to take the job, they passed on on Dennis Green. So it's a it's a extraordinary. I mean, this thing reads like a book. You and I were just talking about that. This is not an article. This is more of like I don't. This is one of those things that I'm surprised they didn't make it into like five different releases, like a series in a sense. Yeah, because man, this thing is long. I mean, this is literally like a couple of chapters of a book. Yeah, it, it is. It is completely massive. It's very interesting, but it's massive and it's long. And uh, you know, you got to put some. You got to have some time set aside uh, for it. Yeah, you really do. But, you know, that's what because there's been so much made of this with Jerry this week and the Cowboys and, you know, the diversity thing and the points being and and I can't remember it, it, who it was that I saw. It was it whoever it was, somebody that it, maybe it was in the morning news, you know, pointing out that the Cowboys now have an all black um, uh, strength and conditioning staff or whatever it is. You know, you look at it, Jerry Jones drafted Quincy Carter and, and obviously Dak and whatnot and, and that whole thing. You know Jerry very, very well. And, and you used to have conversations that would last for a long, lengthy period of time with Jerry Jones. What, what's always kind of been your take of him when it comes to something of this nature? Um, I just, you know, I've always referred to Jerry as the coolest billionaire I've ever known. Um, he, he never gave me, uh, like he certainly doesn't give me racist vibes. Um, he gives me rich man vibes <laughs> and, you know, and the problem is rich folks live in a whole different world that yeah. most of us can't conceive of. And so, um, you know, he's, their scouting department is largely run by Will McClay and, um, you know, his, I think for, up until this year, his previous two assistants have been black. So basically he had a black scouting department. I mean, you know, um, you would like to see more diversity throughout the NFL. Uh, almost any team you look at um, would have an, you would have an issue with it. The one reason Tampa Bay had a, uh, you know, had black coordinators is what? Bruce Arians grew up around black folks and is very comfortable and familiar with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's how he grew up. And so it, it seems very normal for him to to operate and hang out with a lot of black folks. And so those are people he knows. And so he doesn't have any any problem hiring them. And yeah, you're right, bro. Like I'm involved with a project where I've been asked to hire some people. So who's the first thing I do? I call my friends. I go, hey, I'm looking for somebody to do this. You know anybody? That's that's how it starts. Um, also, because I've taught at SMU, I've got some former students and I go, Hey, I've called some of them up. Hey, I've got an opportunity. Uh, you interested? So what am I doing? I'm connecting with people I know. So it's really not that much different. What is that noise? I'm in Jackson. I'm in an efficiency apartment. I'm trying to get a lot of things done. You know, what can I say? This is, you know, well, yeah, like a couple of weeks here, Matt, and then we'll be back to normal. No, sorry. It sounds like you're doing laundry. That's what I said. Oh, well, we didn't hear that part. You cut oh, out yeah, and then yeah. you came back. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It's always something. It's, like, it's something that gives the podcast a little spice to it. You got to have it, man. I was like, God, oh, you got some coins that you're trying to launder today? No, no, It's probably no, just no, a zipper no, or a button. <laughs> no, all my clothes are dirty. And, uh, well, you yeah. got to wash them. I'm glad you're taking care of it. 
I'm trying to be a cleaner host. That's good news. Being clean is always a good thing. <laughs> you know, elsewhere with the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know if you saw this because I know that you're, you're always crazy busy, but ESPN had put out this thing where they have the, I guess it's, I'm trying to see who they got that, that they got some of their draft analysts. So they got Matt Bowen, Matt Miller, and Jordan Reed, who are a couple of the NFL draft analysts, to compile a list of the top 25 players in the NFL right now under the age of 25. So that would mean that, like, as as of today, they would have to be 24 years old or younger. Correct. And when you look at this, man, it's – there's – I don't think it's any surprise – According to these guys, the number one player in the NFL under the age of 25 is Micah Parsons. Okay, I ain't surprised. If, if it had been someone else, I'd have been like, yo, who, who, who could it possibly be? Yeah, because listed <laughs> behind him, they have Justin Jefferson followed by Jamar Chase at two and three. But it, it, the other thing that really kind of I thought was interesting here is when you look at this, it's Micah Parsons, and then you keep scrolling down, and they have him ranked, well, where was he? At number 15, Trayvon Diggs, who is currently 24. And at number 19, CeeDee Lamb, who is 23. And I just started thinking, I was like, okay. You know, that's really interesting to think that the Cowboys have three of the best players in the entire NFL. Three of the top 20 players under the age of 25 in the NFL currently on their roster. Because what what we're seeing here, and you and I have kind of talked about this, as the offensive line ages, you know, and maybe... Uh, Tyler Smith is going to become, I mean, he's been a really solid left tackle in the absence of Tyron Smith this year. And maybe he's going to be an anchor piece of what their future is. But that's why this thing with Dak is so interesting, because as we've seen, quarterbacks in this league can get better as they age and and you can be effective as a quarterback into your mid thirties. But really, these are kind of the pieces with Parsons, Diggs, CeeDee Lamb. And I, and I would, I know it's only one year. I'd probably put Smith up there as the next kind of foundational core that whatever the Cowboys are going to be in the next few years that, that they're building around. Well, it's the, uh, you know, what you're talking about is the next wave of talent coming through. Yeah. John John Daniels just talked about with the, with the Rangers all the time a decade ago when they had a wave of talent come in every couple of years and they were contending for championships. And that's, I mean, you know, we just got to talking about the job, uh, you know, Will McClay has done, and that's that's part of it. It's replenishing the roster, especially um, since it looks to me, for whatever that's worth, that uh, Mike McCarthy's going to be here for, for a couple of years. Um, what has Mike McCarthy said this team is all about? He said, we've got to be a draft and develop organization uh, because that's what it was in, um, in Green Bay. And so that's what he's used to, but also because with the with the with the money they allot to their stars and the salary cap, you literally got to have some Dorrance Armstrongs come through for you. You got to have some Anthony Browns and some Jordan Lewises and some Jake Fergusons and some Peyton Hendershots come through to keep your balance, keep your salary cap from getting out of whack. And so, uh, nah, man, it's it's good to have those guys on there, and you know they're they're hitting with their first round picks, and that's always a positive. Uh, Trayvon Diggs. Um, he may be 15, but he may be even higher if, if they did this thing at the end of the year because he's having a phenomenal year. Yeah, that's true, man. And you you look at it like for the most part offensively, every, like not the offensive line, obviously, but outside of that, Dak is the oldest player on offense and everybody else that they use on offense, is, Zeke is 27 
And we don't think, you know, will he be here next year? Maybe in a, we'll figure that out. But the reality of it is you look at the core of what this offense actually is right now. And outside of the offensive line, everybody that's on this offense is 26 or younger. Yeah, you know, because what happened is it, I, I, I hesitated for a minute when you said that because I was like, is that really right? But you know what they did, bro, is um, they swapped out Lyle Collins for Terrence Steele and got instantly younger. When you swap out Tyron Smith for a, for a, a Tyler Smith, you get what? Instantly younger. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the only old dude is uh, Zach, Zach Martin. Martin. Yeah. And and it makes it completely different. And, and that's where, I don't know, it's, just, it's really interesting to look at this team. I mean, obviously the defense, you know, Tank is 30 years old. And then when Tyron Smith comes back, that'll change some things. And as you mentioned, Zach Martin, but they got a lot of young dudes. Because even Tyler Biotish is only 25. And, and maybe he's just a guy, but... Uh, the core of what this offense is outside of, I think it's two guys. And, and then if you want to throw Dak in there, they're all 26 or younger. Well, here's a, here's the bottom line, bro, is that uh, football is a young man's game, dog. Yeah, you can't is. have a, I mean, for real, you no, can't either, have yeah. a roster full of 30 year old dudes uh, and think that you're going to win a championship. Uh, or if you do, you're like the Rams. We, we're one and done. And now we suck. But it's a young man's game, and to get through the rigors of a season, you got to have a bunch of dudes who are 24, 25, 26, 23, 22. And they got them, and that's where this gets interesting because we talked about this on the last podcast. You got the Colts coming up and then the Texans. If you can win these two games, which you should, by the way, then you've won 10 games in a season, and you've done it in back-to-back years for the first time since 1995 and 1996. And the beauty of that is, then we can stop talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, for real. And, we, but we then stop you, talking about it. Right. And, and my thing is, like, then we know McCarthy, like, you've built some sort of consistency here that at least gets you in the conversation on an annual basis, which is what you want. No, that's exactly what you want, man. It's what you need to have. And uh, you can't compete. You know, the beauty of New England is that they were in the hunt every year. The beauty of the Chiefs right now is they're in the hunt every year. The beauty of the Packers is they're in the hunt every year. And, uh, yeah, it can be frustrating sometimes when you don't win it, but it's far better to be in the hunt every year and have an opportunity to win. Yes, it is. And you look at what's coming up for the Cowboys, man. Indianapolis, 4-7-1. Jacksonville, 4-7. Houston, 1-9-1. Really, to me, I, I don't care. I know things happen in the NFL, and I know it's tough. And, and Jacksonville is growing, and they, they show flashes sometimes. But, man, you should win your next three games in a row. You are better team than the next three teams you're going to play. Right, and you've got something to play for because you can't count on the Eagles to lose. So, you know, you need to make that game as big as possible by continuing to win. Yeah, and that'll be the Tennessee Titans and the Eagles. That's probably the game that they're all wishing was a Sunday night football game instead of Cowboys and Colts because the Titans and Eagles play this week in Philadelphia. The 10-1 and Eagles, the 7-4 and Titans. And the Titans coming off an L. Um, I really like the Titans. I think Mike Vrabel's a uh, hell of a coach. He'll have – I mean, they lost last week, but he'll have those guys ready to play in this kind of game. And to me – if you're hoping that the Eagles drop one, this is the one you hope that they drop. Yeah, because you got that, and then they go on the road for three straight games. And obviously the third of those games is the Christmas Eve game in Dallas. And 
Winning on the road can be hard in the NFL sometimes, man. So Especially we'll see. three in a row. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Three in a row and also December. All three of those games, December games, one in New York, one in Chicago. Now, obviously, in Dallas, the weather probably doesn't matter. But New York, Chicago, you never know. That, that, it's going to be interesting for the Eagles this next month. It'll be interesting for the Cowboys. Hopefully, it sets up for a really nice Christmas Eve game. But as we move forward here, we, of course, I hope you got your bruise built on. If you took advantage, maybe ordered some for Black Friday over the weekend, whatnot. I'll keep saying this because it's true. It really does make a nice stocking stuffer for those of you that have friends in your life or family that are big beef jerky fans. We all know those guys that love beef jerky as a snack. This is better. It just flat out is. It's called Biltong. It's a South African air-dried meat. Bruise Biltong is what you want to get. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, bruisebiltong.com. Go order yourself a bag. The two-ounce bags are 240 calories and 30 grams of protein. You get 15% off when you order with the promo code JAM15. There's really no reason not to try some Bruise Biltong. Nah, bro. It's it's delicious. It's it's good for you. It's succulent. It's tender. It's savory. It's fantastic. Um, I love it. You know, because it's got 230 calories, it's got 30 grams of protein in a two-ounce pouch. It's uh, it's a great snack in the middle of the day, man. Uh, I tell you this all the time. Just order it and thank us later. You know, there's no hurry. There's no rush on that. Just order it and thank us later. Whenever you thank us, we'll appreciate it. Yes, you will. It's bruisebiltong.com. Check them out and use that promo code JAM15 at checkout for 15% off your order. Also, of course, we are brought to you by Freeway Tire Shop. And uh, again, where I live, I wish Freeway Tire Shop existed because I know when you go there, you can drop your car off and you can walk away and you're not worried about it. You don't feel like you're getting ripped off because you know JR and his crew, they're going to take care of you. He's he's up front and he's honest. And the dude does work that he stands behind. And you can trust JR and his guys at Freeway Tire Shop. Nah, man, it's just how I get down, bro. I take my cars over there uh, whenever they need some work. Um, and, and nothing's changed in the, in the two or three years we've been rocking with JR, man. And that's what I love about him is the consistency that when you take your car over there, number one, you can trust him to diagnose the problem. And then number two, you can trust him to use quality parts to fix it. After that, this is a big one. You can trust him to charge you a fair price, bro, because not everybody does that. And we all know this. And then finally, man, you trust him standing behind his work. Doesn't get any better than that. Five minutes from uh, downtown, right up uh, 35 North at Commonwealth. Uh, stop by, roll through the stop sign. He's on the, I mean, through the street light. He's on the right. Uh, you can thank us later for him, too. Yeah, you can, man. <laughs> JR is great. No, you got that right. It's JR, Freeway Tire Shop. Schedule your appointment. Request your quote online at freewaytireshop.com. So let's take this trip around the block and... I can't remember. Did you ever get into the TV show Yellowstone or no? No. Okay. I didn't think that you were a Yellowstone guy. Should I? I mean, if you like the Sopranos, it is basically a Western Sopranos. Yeah, I think the Western threw me off. Yeah, because it, it is. It's in White or Montana is where it is. And it's this dude who runs the, the ranch and all the happenings that happen in the cowboy world and the politics and how he protects his land and all that whole thing and it's because season five just debuted like a couple of weeks ago and we've been watching it and man it is 
It is really well done. It is really good. 1883 was good. They've got a new one coming out that's with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren called 1923 that'll be debuting, I think, in January. But man, Yellowstone, I mean, it is, it's intense, man. And it's the best way I can describe it uh, is it is a Western Sopranos. Like if the Sopranos existed in Montana, this would be how things were for them. Interesting. Well, you know, I'll never say never. Maybe I have to uh, I have to work it into my rotation and give it a whirl and see uh, see what all the hype's about. I mean, there's a lot of fighting. You know, there's some killing. There's there's some uh, just all kinds of different stuff. Stuff that just kind of you're like, God, this is so nuts at times. You know, but. <laughs> It's pretty solid, man. And and the other one that we started watching, and I'd heard a lot about this, is Andor on Disney+. And Andor is the new show in the Star, World, Star Wars universe. And so I don't know if you saw Rogue One, Cassian Andor is a character in Rogue One who was one of the main spies responsible for like stealing the plans for the Death Star that in... Because if you remember, so they had the main Star Wars movies, one, two, three. And then the ones that came out in the 70s and early 80s were actually episodes four, five, and six. Right. So Rogue One told the story of what happens before episode four, which was a new hope that came out in 77. So Rogue One tells the story of Cassian Andor and how he got some people together and and they ended up stealing plans to help the rebellion and all that. Andor is a Disney plus star Wars television show that is like an origin story for that character, Cassian Andor and how he got into the rebellion to begin with and all that whole thing. All right. That's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And, and it, it's a character that I, you know, I kind of remember him from rogue one, but I haven't really watched rogue one in a few years, which after watching this, I'll go back and watch it. Cause I remember thinking rogue one might've been the best star Wars movie ever. The character is really interesting because this is a really, really well done show. It's probably not as cool as the Mandalorian, you know, that had Grogu and that whole thing. You know, Boba Fett was all right. Obi-Wan was badass. But those were all characters that we all kind of were familiar with. This is kind of a character that they for a character and for characters that most people would have no knowledge of whatsoever. It's really well done. And it, it takes a while because some of the episodes are a little slow. The character development is insane. But it's, it, this, this is really, really well done. I've heard some people say they think it's better than The Mandalorian. I wouldn't go that far. Right, right. But it is, it's, it's up there, man. I mean, the storytelling and you, you just don't see, like even in The Mandalorian, there was a lot of other characters that it seemed like they spent time on. Right. And man, this thing, it's like, it's basically about this one dude and there's some peripheral players in it. And it's just, it's really interesting. And, and it's, it's pretty solid, man. So it's a deep dive on one dude. It's a deep dive on the one dude. And there's obviously some other characters that play a big role in it and, and everything with that as well. But they do a really good job with this. I was talking about this with the lady. It's, it's amazing to me that the stuff they're coming out with now captures the vibe and the, the feel of the Star Wars that we watched in, in you know, 77 and 80 and 83 and all, whenever they all came out back in, in the day where it, it feels like you're actually in the world. It's not glossy. It's not a bunch of, even when they are special effects, it doesn't feel like they're special effects. 
And this show does a really good job of, of kind of coming across like you're watching it back in the early 80s, but it's obviously modernized. It's just, it's really nicely done. Well, damn, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to add that on my list of stuff to watch. Yeah, and, and it, it's kind of, I, I was thinking about this, man. I'm, I'm watching the show. When we first right. started watching, I was like, you know, if you had told me as a little kid that you're going to grow up and there will be more Star Wars stories and more characters than you could ever possibly imagine, you know, because there's still that, it, like, like, when you grew up with Star Wars, it just, it can still blow your mind at times. And the way that they have expanded the universe of what Star Wars is, it's incredible. I mean, all these little just side TV shows and side movies now that all tie into this world that I was enamored with and obsessed with as a small child is something that, I don't know, sometimes I'm just like, I cannot believe that they have gone this wide in the world of Star Wars. It's the beauty of creativity, bro. It is. And, and that whole realm and the way that it's all put together and it works, it works nicely. I've also heard that Wednesday on Netflix is supposed to be very good. And that is like a spinoff of Adam's family. And it's like focused on that, that character of Wednesday, you know, their daughter, their little girl or whatever. Oh, okay. I was trying to figure out what that was all about. Did you ever watch the Adam's family growing up? I don't know. I, I never really got into it. Yeah. I watched it some. Yeah. Cause that was, I mean, you know, came out in 64, had to be right up your alley. Is really, <laughs> it's it a little creepy, but I, I get it. Yeah, and then, you know, I've seen the movies and stuff like that, but this new one called Wednesday, we watched a preview for it, and I was kind of like, okay, all right, I might I might want to give this a shot. This looks really kind of interesting. I don't know if I'm going that far. Well, and I will tell you that Tim Burton is behind this and is heavily involved in this, and apparently some people are saying, just some of the reviews I read, that this is some of the best stuff Tim Burton's ever done. And if that's the case... You know, you got to you got to be a Tim Burton fan because he obviously sees the world in a very different realm in a very different way, in a sense. But if, if that's the case and it's true, then I could be all aboard on that because Tim Burton, I mean, four out of the eight episodes are directed by Tim Burton, who is the executive yeah. producer on this thing. All right. You know, I ain't never been a big fan of Tim Burton's work. I could appreciate yeah. it, but it's original. Yeah, that's why I said I could appreciate it, but I just ain't never been a fan of Tim Burton stuff. It's always too much for me. It's it's dark. It's usually, I mean, you're talking Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Sleepy Hollow, Sweeney Todd. I'm trying to think. He did he did the original Batman films in 89, and whenever the next, Batman and Batman Returns were Tim Burton movies. And, right. and so, you know, his movies have always got a little tone of dark weirdness to them. Yeah, it's the weirdness that throws me out of whack. Yeah, but they're also, I mean, unique. And, you know, Beetlejuice still holds up. Edward Scissorhands still holds up. Obviously, the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I'm sure many, many people are familiar with. So the fact that his mind is behind this, I was like, okay, that, that gives me an idea that we might be going down quite the dark path here, which I can get into. All right, well, you're going to have to keep me to that one. Yeah, once we wrap up Andor, because I think we got like six episodes left on Andor, We'll probably roll on over and, and see if we can knock out some of the stuff with uh, Wednesday. There's a lot of stuff on TV, man. It's hard to get to all of it. Trust me, I know this. I'm just one man and one lady. We're just trying to do the best we can, all right? <laughs> I got a lot of stuff I got to read. You know, I read all the time. Then I got to watch these shows. I got to do a radio show and a podcast. I mean, there's just a lot going on. I, I can't always just watch TV. Trust me, I feel you, bro. <laughs> 
And then finally, the other thing that we have for you before we get into Todd Archer, the Dallas Mavericks, who have had a very, you know, I'd say a very disappointing start to the season. I think that's fair. You're talking about a team. They are a quarter of the way through their schedule. They are currently nine and 10 and in 11th place in the West. And, And I don't think anybody thought that they'd be sitting here. Well, they have signed Kimball Walker. It is official. Kimba Walker is a dude who is an 11-year veteran who averaged from 2015 to 2020 20-plus points a game in five straight years, was a four-time All-Star. This is not that Kimba Walker. And from what I've been reading about his addition to the Mavs, it became obvious that losing Jalen Brunson is hurting them. They only have two dudes that can kind of work with the ball in their hands and create and that's Luca and Spencer Didwinney. And they needed another guy who can do something with the basketball. And Kimball Walker can do that. Even if all he gives you is 10 to 12 minutes a night, as long as you've got another guy that at times can help out with Doncic and Dinwiddie, and you can get another dude on the floor that can help to create offense and do some things, this is a good addition for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, if he got anything left. Like, you know, he's had chronic knee problems, and right. that's why... He, that's why he he went from being a uh, you know basically a twenty point game a yeah. game a night player to to just a guy. Uh, that's why he's without a team now. So uh, you know he's at thirty two. So I don't uh, I don't really have very many expectations for him. Uh, you know it's it feels like the mind is is willing, but the body's not. Yeah, and if that's the case, then it means nothing. But again, you don't be expecting the Kimball Walker that all of us remember. You, it's kind of like the Odell Beckham Jr. thing with the Cowboys. I think they're literally hoping that this dude can give them 10 minutes a night with somebody else having the ball in their hands. And 10 minutes a night is barely a rotational guy, but he's a guy that can at least get in the floor and do a little something. You know, right now the Mavs are basically going nine deep in their rotation and you're looking at Luka doing 37 a night. Spencer Dinwiddie does 32 a night. We knew they were going to miss Jalen Brunson, but man, the effect. I mean, you're 9-10, and 10, and they've lost well, the problem, games they just shouldn't be losing. Well, the problem without Jalen Brunson is you don't have anybody who can get in the lane and get easy buckets. Everything's a yeah, three. Right. Literally. So when you hit them, you're up by 25, and then when you go cold, they take the 25-point lead away, and, they, they, and then it becomes can you win the game at the end. So uh, they're still f- searching for who they are and what they're all about. And, yeah, this has been a disappointing season thus far, but the Cowboys have, uh, have taken our attention away from it. Yeah, they have. And, and the reality of it is they're trying to figure some things out. I think they will figure some things out. I don't anticipate that they're going to finish 11th in the West. And, you know, the West, as we all know, is loaded. And, and so you sit here and you say that. Yeah, they're 9 and 10. They're only five back of Phoenix, who is the number one team in the Western Conference right now. Right. I mean, that's how stacked all this is. I mean, the the teams that are ahead of them, you know, you look at this, there are only two teams in the entire Western Conference that have more than 12 wins, and that's Denver and Phoenix. Everybody else is in between 10 and 12, and then the Mavs at 9. So they're still, I mean, you know, they're a hot streak away from jumping up to the third best team in the Western Conference. They just got to figure out how to make that happen. Well, that's what everybody's doing, man. Everybody's jockeying, figuring out their rotations, figuring out their lineups, figuring out who's going to play with each other, figuring out who's going to start and who's going to finish. And it's just part of the process. NBA season don't get started until after the All-Star break anyway. Yeah, and that hadn't happened yet, so we'll see how it goes. But the Mavs bringing in Kimba Walker. Kimba Walker is now a Dallas Maverick, so, well, 
good for them. Before we get to Todd Archer, let's tell you, of course, about HFX Foundation Solutions. You guys know in Texas, just a nightmare of a summer, the massive drought and the heat. And of course, that creates all kinds of foundation problems. If you have been noticing cracks, sticking doors, soil washout, sloped floors, those are the types of signs you're looking for that you might have a problem with your foundation. That's why you need HFX Foundation Solutions, a full-service foundation repair company. They take care of all of Dallas-Fort Worth. They specialize in slab. They can do your pier and beam foundation repair. They also help with drainage and gutter installations and things of that nature. So give Aaron and his crew a call. They're local. They're family-owned. 817-770-0174. It's 817-770-0174. A-rated with the Better Business Bureau. Aaron and his team, they'll come out. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. Do not play around with your foundation. You think you got a problem? It might be worth putting in that call. Or check them out. You can find them online at hfxfoundation.com. It is time to check in with our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, Todd Archer, joining us here and a lot to discuss with Todd. And of course, we're coming off a Cowboys mini bye week of sorts, the win over the Giants on Thanksgiving, and we haven't talked to you since then. What do you take away from that game? Kind of a, a weird first half with a team that came out and really put it away in the second half. And now they're sitting at eight and three, getting ready for a three game stretch, which bodes very well for them. What did you make of the Giants win? Yeah, you know, you, you come off 40-3 to three against Minnesota and you're thinking, all right, this is how they're going to play all the time, which is really not realistic for the best teams in the league, right? So, uh, to, to me, that game four days later was any win is a good win. And after the first half, they dominated. You know what I mean? They, they scored on their first three possessions, really should have scored on their first four, but Maher uncharacteristically missed that field goal. The defense got plenty of stops, and really the only touchdown the Giants got was, uh, you know, a last-minute drive when basically the game was over, and, you know, I, I think everybody was ready to get home. So um, they, they did what they needed to do, and now it's about – you mentioned these next three games. I think they're, they're combined – well, before this weekend, the teams were a combined 8-20-1, and one, and so now it might be 9 22 and one, if my math is right, uh, with Houston or Indy, Houston and Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Now it's about setting yourselves up for not only being a team making the playoffs, but being a real team when you get in the playoffs. And again, it's not that it's style points and you don't have to win 40 to three, but can show continued improvement. Don't let these teams hang around. Even if you win it 20 to three, that's, that's, that's fine. Like, you know, everybody gets paid, all that kind of stuff. But I think this is a time where the Cowboys can put themselves in that conversation with and just stick with the, the NFC, with Philly, with San Francisco, and they certainly beat Minnesota. But, what, you know, after that, am I missing anybody else? No, I think that, those are the two best teams right, right now. Right. Well, those would be the three besides the Cowboys, right? Right. Right. San Francisco, Philly, and, and Minnesota. So and you got men, and you got Philly coming here on Christmas Eve. So you want to make that game mean something, be it for the division or sending a message if you have to play the Eagles in the postseason, even if the game is in Philadelphia. So it's, it, it seems like we say this a lot. It's all right there for the Cowboys, and it truly is all right there. 
how do you feel about the uh, the quarterback as we head into the stretch run? Uh, better, uh, although, I mean, I don't know why. Maybe I'm maybe I'm foul pointing this right. I, th- there are some of the interceptions that he's had. It's just kind of like, why are you doing that? Like, yeah, points. In the, you know, I go back to the Green Bay game, the, the not the second one, but the first one. Don't make an anticipation throw. If it doesn't look clean, throw it in the stands, kick your field goal. Maybe that game is different. This one, like McCarthy was talking to us, it was the right call, the right decision. You know, for the coverage and the throw that was made, it, it wasn't the, the, the wrong call to go to CD down the seam on that one. But again, you're in field goal range. Do you really need to press it and take that chance? I, I, I don't know. I, I, there, there seems to be an aggressiveness to Dak's game that he's not really showed us before. And, and am I overplaying that? Or would you agree with that? Like, no, it, it I, I seems know that way. I'm seeing it. Yeah. Like, but he's, play, I mean, shoot. In, in the five games since he's been back, the Cowboys are number one in offensive points per game, 32.4. Number one in points per possession, three points per possession. Number one in third down percentage, 57.1. And number two in red zone at 84%, I think it is. Like, that's all. And Dak has the best completion percentage of any quarterback since he's been back at 72%. So he's playing great, but there's also those moments where it's like, why would he do that? And and, and that's the only thing, I guess it's quibbling, right? Uh, that, that's the only thing I can say, like, geez, I just don't know why, because we've not seen him do those kind of things before. And I don't know, in, in his mind, he's probably not doing those things, but He's thrown, how many interceptions has he thrown this year? Is it? I think it's six. six. Yeah, it's six, six. Yeah. At least three of them to CD down the middle of the field. Yeah. <laughs> right. At least three. Like you know, and then you know the one to Gallup. Uh, they thought it was a free play. He's trying to get a back shoulder. Da da da. Hey, that, that stuff's going to happen. Like I, I can excuse some interceptions, but there's also a couple where it's like, geez, is that really the right time to make that decision? Not that the decision was bad, but the timing of the decision just seemed off. Uh, one more thing about Dak. Uh, Matt and I were trying to figure this out. Why is this offense functioning better? Because we've been bitching about the personnel kind of like all season. Well, I, I have a story for later in the week where I asked the question, do they really need Odell Beckham Jr.? And I cite those stats that I gave you guys. And But I, I think a, a good part of it is the offensive line continuity, those guys have played together basically. McGovern missed a couple games, but those guys have been together all year. Uh, Zeke missed the two games with his knee injury the three weeks uh, wrapped around the bye week. Um, Gallup missed the first three games of the season. Obviously, Dak missed five with a surgery. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to see, I think, the benefit of those guys playing together and Kellen Morgan in a feel for what this team is. And it's all clicking right now. And it's funny, I talked to someone in the locker room um, about the offense before the, I think it was before the Giants game. And I don't want to say who it was, but I'm like, it just seems like, you know, there's always something that's kind of dragging you down a little bit. He's like, I honestly, I feel better about our offense now than I did uh, last year at this time. And I went and thought about it. Yeah, he had the first six games last year, Dak gets calf injury. And it was really, despite what the numbers say, I think we'd say it was a struggle for the offense the second half of the season wrapped around two 50 point wins that bloated some stats. 
they they were not the same offense. So so now the point was, you know, everything's ascending, and and I I think time on task with the guys, Kellen Moore understanding better what they are and how they should play, and you know, Dak is a different quarterback than Cooper Rush. I mean, no, no offense, Cooper Rush, but it's just you know you're seeing why he's so important to the team. When you do mention Odell Beckham Jr., and, and do they need him? And we've kind of talked about this before, the idea that even if it's a guy that makes a play or two for you in the playoffs, if he could just do what he did for the Rams last year, you would take him. Jerry says no concerns whatsoever about the incident, that whatever it was that he had on the plane. It, should there be concern for something like that? <laughs> what or no? it, what it, hold on, what did Jacques just say? He said edibles. Oh, okay. <laughs> Are you reporting that, Jacques? Um <laughs> just a hunch just okay. a hunch <laughs> uh all right one more time am i worried about that stuff is yeah that i mean do you, do you think that there should be concern or or is it kind of more the jerry side of well i mean it's it's whatever and the guy can help us win it's, it's a good question that i can play both sides of it and part of me says he sued nike made that public he's had this incident the the, the parcells side of me would say does he really want to play football if he's got this other stuff going on, right? And, and do you really want to upset the apple cart when there's there's going to be something because it's just whether it's Odell's fault or not, that's just the attention that comes his way being who he is. Um, but I, but the other side of it is, and I think the way the Cowboys and Jerry's viewing it to a degree is, what happens if something happens to C.D. Lamb or Michael Gallup? What are you going to do? You can say all you want about James Washington coming back from a foot injury, but is it really – who would you rather have, right? And and I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't know how much more Odell would give you than James Washington at this point. If we're being – like, if anybody thinks Odell would come here or really go in anywhere and be the guy that we saw play for the Giants the first four seasons, well, they're lying to themselves because that's not the guy you're going to get. And to me, if the Cowboys sign him, the best thing the Cowboys could do is sign him for the final however many weeks of the season. Don't worry about 2023 or 2024. Just see if you can get him to agree, hey, we want you to be the last five games and you'd be better served to play for us. And then who knows, maybe you get a bigger contract if you do well, right? I mean, when you factor in everything – salary cap, where the team is right now, blah, blah, blah all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think the Cowboys would be best served to just have Odell on a one-year deal. Now the question becomes, would he accept something like that? I don't think any of us know. And look, where else is he going to go? Is he really going to go to New York? Right? I mean, no. right. I mean, so then it becomes, okay, maybe he goes to Buffalo if Von Miller uh, recruits him up there, okay, that's fine. It's the AFC team. I guess the team we don't want him to go to would be San Francisco. Uh, I don't think he's going to be going to Philly. So, you know, I don't think the Cowboys will be out leveraged uh, here and pay him something that nobody else would. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading it, but that's just my gut feeling. Well, you know, the other question is, Doug, what could he? When would he realistically play? It seems like uh, if you look right. at Jason Peters as a timeline, he hadn't been in anybody's training camp. I mean, he probably needs a month before he can even pop out on the field. 
Right, and if if he needs a month, then is he then he's not even going to play in the regular season, right? I mean, right. He's going to get a game or a game and a half. I, I, I would look at Gallup more as the comp, um, and, and and this is under the assumption that everything about his knee is fine, and he's in. I, I, this, look, the guy's going to be in great shape. He's a professional athlete. He might not be in the best football shape at the moment, but I don't think it would take him long to get there. But look how long it took Michael Gallup to start feeling like Michael Gallup again. So, again, I ask the question, do they really need him? They probably don't really need him, but it'd be good to have as, you know, a better-than-insurance policy. You know, the other thing that we saw in the Giants game, that's the third consecutive game now that Tony Pollard has had 20 or more touches after never having that many in college or his professional career. Does it, does it seem like they feel more comfortable giving him more touches? Because for a while it felt like 12 to 15 was kind of the limit of what they wanted to do with them. And now, like I mentioned, three games in a row where it really feels like they're making more of an effort to get him more involved in however they can. Yeah, I, I Okay, let's be cynical here for a second. Maybe they know they're not going to re-sign him or not going to be able to re-sign him yeah. uh, as a free agent. And they're saying, screw it. Let's just burn him up and use him as much as we can, right? Um, but I, I, I don't I, – that's being way too cynical, uh, honestly. But I, I think they're, they're realizing now what he is and what he can do. And, again, I'm, I'll die on the vine here. Ezekiel Elliott is as important to this team as Tony Pollard. Like, he just is. You, you saw Tony struggle in the run game against the Giants. You didn't see Zeke struggle in the run game against the Giants. Like, there, there's, there's going to be times of this season where this team is going to have to lean on Zeke, and I would put money on it that he will come through. Just because I, I think he's healthy, I think he's in a good headspace, and he's still a hell of a running back that no one really wants to – admit anymore like all everybody's doing is about 15 million dollars okay fine that's that's done with like you can't do anything about that right that is what it is now it's just what are you going to get out of him and you're getting a hell of a football player you figure he's back next year at a reduced rate yeah i think there there probably could be the demarcus lawrence type of situation um where you're guaranteeing him some money to keep him um you know and I don't think that necessarily precludes them from keeping Pollard, but A, we don't know what the salary cap is going to be next year. Um, could be $225 million, which basically puts the Cowboys at a net zero. Uh, so they would have to do a lot of tinkering with money or send guys out uh, that, you know, like Zach or Zach Martin or Zach Prescott, things like that. Um, and and the, without even signing Diggs or Lamb to a to an extension, the first time eligible too. Um, so there's a lot of salary cap maneuverings that they'd have to go about to make it work. But I think they they can make it work. And honestly, you know, like I know you know he's a fourth round pick. He's not made quote unquote very much money uh, in the NFL world, but there's something about staying in the spot that you've been in that you're comfortable at and they know you and you're still going to get a really nice chunk of change that might make it worth Tony Pollard worth his while to stay here. And again, I say that as dude, if they put 30 million guaranteed in front of you, you got to go and take it. It's the Anthony Hitchens thing. Cowboys wanted Anthony Hitchens. They weren't going to pay him five for 45 the way Kansas city did. 
And they said, Anthony, and Anthony still wanted to say, and they're like, dude, you got to take that contract. We can't, you, you can't pass up 45 million bucks. As we sit here with however, whatever it is, six games left in the season, we know what they have coming up. I think a couple of weeks ago, we would have said by far the run defense has got to get better. And then you look at what they did against Minnesota and Cook. And, and to be fair, that, that game became where the Vikings abandoned the run at some point. They, they hold Saquon Barkley in the Giants run game in check. What is the biggest weakness of this team in your eyes with six weeks left? I'm so sticking with the run defense because it's some of it, some of what you just said, it's predicated on what the offense is doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we still don't know. If this is, you know, they, they did a good job against Saquon. That's a division opponent. They know that run game. Yada, yada, yada. I think it's a week-to-week thing. And this week against Jonathan Taylor, despite what we might have seen Monday night from the Colts, um, it's going to be a test for them. And I think every week is going to be a, a, a test of that, uh, that facet of their defense. Now, do you want to say Anthony Brown is an issue? I mean, he is what he is. Like, he's solid. Is that a fair description? Yeah, solid. Show me, show me where you're going to get better than Anthony Brown on December 1st or whatever the heck today's date is. So, but in December, who are you going to get that's better? Like, you're going to throw Calvin Joseph out there? No. You're gonna throw, you can't throw Deron Bland out there. So, I think there are things that maybe they can do to help Anthony Brown, uh, especially if you have Trayvon Diggs playing as well as he's playing. But uh, to me, the number one thing that this defense still has to prove is that it can stop the run. And w- again, with the way Diggs is playing, they should be able to dedicate an extra body to the run, uh, be it against uh, Taylor this week, Pierce the next week, Etienne the following week to be healthy, and then the whole Philadelphia kit and caboodle, and then Derrick Henry. So, and then shoot, I guess you got uh, Brian Robinson, Robinson in Washington. Yeah. So to me, it, it you know it's still about their run defense. Um, By the way, but after watching last night's game, were you guys thinking Matt Ryan's gonna be dead in two quarters? Next, this week, <laughs> it felt that way. Um, yeah, no doubt. I was, I was thinking that Micah Parsons is going to have eight sacks, uh, two two <laughs> sack game number seven uh, is really what I was thinking. What do you think about him and what he's continued to do? Because uh, it seems like he's just getting better and better and better. Yeah, he's okay, right? I mean, you know, when you pick a guy, <laughs> he's fine. You know, he's solid. No, I mean, crap. I mean, I can't really throw anything. I, I think what I do like about Mike is that when it, the moment is called for, he makes the play. And, and I thought it was interesting, you know, we, with, there's been a whole bunch of comparisons, right? It, it, we had, locally, it was the DeMarcus Ware thing. And then last week, or uh, I think it was last week, or maybe it was Monday, McCarthy's talking about Derek Thomas. He's asked about Derek Thomas and Micah. And then we have Clay Matthews and, and Micah. And we have Lawrence Taylor and Micah. So, like, look at the guys that we're talking about him paired with, right? And that's like an all-time – those are – okay, Clay Matthews probably isn't an all-time great, but still an excellent – a blue player in the NFL parlance. But LT, Marcus Ware, Derek Thomas, all, greatest of all time, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame. Like, those are the conversations that you're having about Micah Parsons 
in year two when does he really know what he's doing? You know what I'm saying? Like when did DeMarcus become the guy that you knew was going to come up with a big sack and, and get you double digit sacks every year? Probably not until three year, three year four, maybe, maybe, and maybe I'm not remembering that right. But as he learned more of the game, and I think right now so much of Micah is just a, a natural feel for how to make plays and the, the no offense to his coaches, but he has all that stuff you can't coach. <laughs> and it, it, it's pretty impressive to watch. All right, World Cup time. So the Americans win. Took long enough. Yeah, well, we had to talk a little Cowboys before we could talk a little World Cup. Now we get to the real football. So here we go. Well, I don't know. From what I've been told, it's called soccer. <laughs> but I will say... It's a, it's a catchy slogan for a Peyton Manning commercial. <laughs> apparently, man. So they advance to the round of 16, and that'll be Saturday morning at 9. They're playing the Netherlands. I, the only soccer I've watched in the last four years are the last couple of games that are in this World Cup. It, it, can the Americans do this? Is, do they have a chance to beat a team like the Netherlands and get into the eight? Yes. Yes, they have a chance. Um, it's not um, – trying to think of uh, – it's not – it's better than – you at Team USA against the Russians in 1980. It's not. It wouldn't be that kind of uh, comparison, right? Um, yeah. they, they have ability. I'm, I'm curious to see how Pulisic feels, if he can play. Josh Sargent got hurt in the second half. How's his ankle? Can he play? Um, but, the, the, you know, the, the Dutch can be had. You know, anybody who's a Liverpool fan can tell you that Virgil van Dijk not played – as well this year for them as you did last year. So there's some age worries there. But they have some tremendous players uh, and guys that will pull down massive transfer fees like this Gakpo kid um, that we just don't have. But, you know, we got, we got some players on our team that might be a year a, – a, uh, a, a World Cup early – like when they come here in 26, they might be all in their prime. But, you know, th- this Eunice Musa, who turned 20 today, uh, unbelievable player. Tyler Adams has been phenomenal in this thing. Uh, Tim Ream, 35 years old, plays for Fulham, my club in England, playing out of his mind. Like, you know, th- they, do, they have a chance. They have a chance to get to the quarterfinals um, just the same way they did when, you know, Tim Howard and, and Matt Turner is a, a shot stopper. So he can pull a – he can be a Tim Howard type player. They get, they get a chance. I, I, Netherlands will still be the betting favorite, maybe heavy, but the U.S. has a chance. Yeah, that would be something. I mean, what is it? What, it was an O two that they made it to the eight. Uh, when did they lose the O two? Wasn't Belgium? It was O uh, two. Was O two? They lost to Ghana. Hold on, I'm going through my head. 08, they were awful in France. Uh, 12. When did they lose to Belgium and Tim Howard made 16 saves? Wasn't that a quarterfinal? Was that 94? No, 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 no. That would have been like, (laughs) that would have been 2010 or 2014. Probably might have been 14. 18, we didn't make it. So it was probably 14. I, I think that may have been a quarterfinal match. Okay. Where you know Belgium, I think it was Belgium. Now it's all running together. Um, but th- th- this is 
we're seeing this is the best the U.S. has ever been, and they'll get continue to get better. That doesn't mean for all the people out there to say, you know, well, they can't win a World Cup, they're terrible, da da da. No, the, the rest of the world has a massive head start on all of us in every aspect of the game. It'll be like I'm trying to think of a basketball comparison. Um, us losing to England in basketball. That's not going to happen, right? I mean, yeah. get out of here. So, because we have a massive head start on England and, you know, we're pulling from a bigger, yeah, basketball is our sport, not their sport. So, um, but like, we got legitimate players now. This is, we're not, well, some of the bench guys that we've pulled on are MLS guys. We got guys playing in the Premier League, guys playing in Syria, uh, guys playing in the Bundesliga. Uh, we got guys playing in, in the Dutch league. We got, I mean, and, and not only playing, but like really playing like significant roles. Guys have been champion in the champions league. So, um, it's coming for the U S and look, you're way back in the day. I was one of these, you're ignorant. If you don't like this sport, man, we don't need those people anymore. We are, what we are, we're fine with it. There's no reason to pull those people into this thing. Just don't for all those people, just don't, crap all over us and tell us we're idiots for enjoying this stuff like this, this is this is a this is a cool time yeah fair enough and i and I saw something earlier to, to your point where this is the first time that the men's national team had a starting lineup or maybe it was a lineup overall that did not have a single player that's in the mls for the first time since the mls started 96 at a world cup event i should say right that that, that was today was that today? Yeah, because today. Yeah, yeah, today. Zimmer- yeah, yeah, because yeah, Zimmerman didn't start, and he plays for Nashville, and they brought in Cameron Carter-Vickers, who plays in Scotland. So, um, yeah, that, that's the deal. Like, you know, we we have guys, we have people looking in the leagues all around the world, and now like don't care that it's an American; they just care that the guy if the guy can play or not. And yeah, it's it's only going to grow from from there in terms of getting those guys to those kind of clubs and maybe out of the MLS system to really flourish when you're playing against the best competition in the world in those leagues. Although I will say, Greg Berhalter, the manager, the coach of the team, all credit for getting the team out of the group. I don't need to see Haji Wright play anymore. I don't need to see Shaq Moore play anymore. Like, go with DeAndre Yedlin. So our local guy here, uh, Jesus Ferreira, like, okay, let's just let's just let's let's mix that up a little bit more. Yeah, that was real good right there. Hey, what's the word on Pulisic and whether he's going to play Saturday? Uh, well, I've been doing the podcast since the yeah, game ended, so I've not I... been able to read anything here. Well, I thought I thought you may have been looking at Twitter and, and found out something. That's all. That's well, who all. gets their news from Twitter? Why would anybody want to do that? Um, hopefully it's okay but it did not look it didn't look good and i couldn't tell what he did uh they're calling it an abdomen injury it looked like he took a big knee to the ribs yeah ribs lower right kind of near the 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 doodad um you know it, it 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 didn't look good, oh, but he was too. able to come back and finish the half. That was a little positive, but they showed him walking out to the locker room. 
after and he just had to stop. So maybe, yeah. They, His doodads are better. I don't want to say, yeah. I, I will say, if, if he's not eligible to play against the Netherlands, then it might be a little bit like the U.S. against the Soviets in 1980 uh, if, he can't, if he can't play. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how it turns out. Todd Archer, as always, man. Uh, World Cup insight. We appreciate that. Right. Thanks so much. Football. I'm, I'm, football. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here for the podcast. That'll work, man. All right, Todd, appreciate you. Yep, see you guys. All right, there he is, our ESPN NFL Nation. Cowboys insider Todd Archer with, God, you talk about a dude who knows his soccer. Yeah, I mean, he knows it. He files for, you know, one of the best times we ever had is when we went to London. And uh, me and him went to check out uh, Fulham because uh, that's his team. And... Uh, you know, we we went to the stadium and it was in this, it's a stadium that's you're walking around a neighborhood, you catch the train, then you're walking around this neighborhood, yeah. and out pops a stadium out of like where did this come from? And the seats were good and it was just uh, they were relegated then, so it was second division game, but it was still just cool as hell to uh, to go over there and watch a game. It it was a blast, man. Yeah, that's what I've heard. My traveling brother Chris has been over there, and I cannot remember who it was that he saw it might have been man city and somebody or man you it was some like big team and i can't remember which one like chelsea somebody like that on that level and he i mean as you would know i mean it's just it's insane i mean really to me the only thing that even approaches that in this country is big time like huge college football type stuff that's probably a uh, a pretty good pretty good uh, deal but it seems like it'd be a lot of fun to check it out at some point and then you know, like Todd was talking about, I mean, the one thing I do know is that we've got a team that's loaded with youth that apparently is the best youth we've ever had collectively. So who knows? I mean, maybe it is point when we are the hosts coming up in 2026 here in the United States of America. Maybe we'll have a team that could actually actually do something. But I was just looking at this and yeah, it was 2002 is the last time that they got past the round of 16. They finished eighth, made it to the quarterfinals. That was when it was in Japan and South Korea. And then of course, in 2010 and 2014, they were eliminated in the round of 16. We'll see what happens here as they are in the round of 16 on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. against the Netherlands. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.